Amen. Please be seated. You can turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Colossians chapter 4. The text is also printed in uh, the bulletin for you. Um, and there's some Bibles available on the table in the back of the sanctuary if you need one. We'll look at verses 2 through 6 this morning. Um, we're finishing, we've been in a series on Colossians since uh, September, and we're finishing it up next week. Um, but this is actually my last week in it. Uh, next week, um, we've got uh, Dr. Paul Metzger coming from Multnomah Seminary. Um, I'm super excited about that. Um, he was uh, probably my f- favorite professor. I got to <clears throat> uh, do an internship with him, and um, he's really great. And I, he, I think you're going to be um, you're going to be blessed by his bringing the word. He's going to talk about um, the last part of Colossians 4 and also Philemon. So. Uh, he'll talk about it in terms of um, kind of a <clears throat> racial and social uh, reconciliation. So uh, that's next week that'll finish out the sermon uh, series on Colossians, and then after that we'll start a new series on the life of Christ, which will start in Advent, first, uh, first Sunday in December, um, and we'll go through Easter season. Not exactly sure uh, when we'll stop there, but um, uh, the life of Christ will be the next series. So, but uh, Colossians, Paul wrote... Um, wrote this letter to the Colossians. He had not planted the church in Colossae, um, but he, uh, being in prison, probably in Ephesus, uh, just a little ways away, um, wrote this letter while he was in prison to the Colossae. And it's it's a young church there, and um, he's writing about how to grow as Christians. Um, And and the main uh, kind of thrust of his argument is that you grow uh, as a Christian the same way you become a Christian, by faith in the gospel. You you, uh, grow in your comprehension, your rootedness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so he spends the bulk of the book talking about the gospel. And then um, the last few weeks we've looked at in uh, chapter 3 and early chapter 4, he's been making applications of how, how does the gospel work itself out in your life as uh, Christians, as a church. So um, here he's, he's talking about how the gospel and its applications uh, they're not just for us to enjoy for our own sake. Um, we are meant to be conduits of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's love. God has loved us, and we're not just to be a terminal of that love. We're to be a conduit and, and uh, share that love um, with others. So, uh, kids, um, just so you know, not everybody is a Christian. Right? Not everybody goes to church. Not everybody has a church family. Not everybody knows that God loves them. Not everybody knows about Jesus Christ living and dying and rising from the dead. Not everybody believes that and, and lives um, uh, knowing that. Right? So um, you might have friends at your schools that you know that are not Christians. And each Christian, you, me, all of us here, uh, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, each Christian is called to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And this is, um, this is the main theme of our passage this morning. This is one of the, um, the, the places in the New Testament where we, where we see it's not just up to the original uh, disciples, the original apostles, to proclaim the gospel. It's not just up to ministers or pastors or evangelists to proclaim the gospel to others. It really is um, something that every believer should be engaged in. And um, so... It's a sermon about evangelism. I'm probably supposed to say something like, uh, I'm really sorry. I'll try to make this as painless as possible, especially if you're visiting with us. Uh, you know, um, but, but honestly, I think 
I'm starting to think this is really good stuff. <laughs> um, I'm even starting to believe that myself. Uh, even if none of us here are going to be the world's greatest evangelists, right? the next uh, kind of effective like Billy Graham type level evangelist, uh, even if that's not going to be any of us, um, this stuff is good for us. I think the more that you get excited about God, the more that you get excited about Jesus Christ and the gospel and what it means for your life uh, and for this world, then the, the greater your passion grows to tell other people about him. And uh, I think that we're seeing evidence that the gospel really is at work among us here in this, uh, this little young church, just like it probably was uh, among the Colossians, um, in some ways that are pretty exciting. The gospel's at work in us. So it should be interesting to us to consider how the gospel uh, could could not just be at work in us, but also through us. Right, so, um, so let's pray, and then we'll read uh, Colossians 4. <clears throat> Lord Jesus Christ, we're thankful that you came from heaven to earth. You came as a light shining into the darkness, uh, the darkness of this world, the darkness of our souls. And we're thankful for the way that you have uh, enlightened our minds, that you have brought light and life to each of us through your, through your own life and through your death on the cross and through your resurrection. And we pray that as we consider uh, this word about uh, you, about your gospel, about how we can even participate in making your gospel known, that you would help us to truly be um, motivated by your gospel and not by, uh, not by guilt, not by shame, not by just a sense of duty, but that you, uh, having first loved us, would truly by your spirit cause us to love you in a way that makes us respond uh, the way that this text calls us to respond. We pray this in your name. Amen. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so in these, um, in these two little paragraphs as you see them printed there or as they appear in your in your bible paul is highlighting kind of two major aspects of evangelism sharing the gospel one is prayer it's like that kind of first paragraph there and then the other is dialogue conversation with um, outsiders with unbelievers there's a lot of words we could use people who don't go to church right um, <clears throat> i think that uh, we usually focus on the dialogue part we usually focus on the second part and it's great we there's tons for us to think about in that second little paragraph um, but we forget the prayer part, and that part is pretty much essential, and I don't think we understand that, um, uh, and, and it shouldn't be neglected, so we should think about it. Paul requests prayer for his own evangelism, his own uh, bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, his own testimony to who Jesus is and what he's done uh, in the world. Um, Paul requests prayer for his evangelism in the context of exhorting the Colossians to constant prayer, basically. He says in verse 2, continue steadfastly. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So there's <clears throat> three elements of that that uh, I'll mention just briefly. Um, first is prayer. He's, he's saying we need to ask for God's help. We need to express our dependence uh, 
on God uh, all thing, uh, for, for all things all the time. Right? Uh, so that's what prayer is. We need God's help. And secondly, we need to be watchful in it. We actually need to look for where God is working as an answer to the prayers. Right? We need to look and, um, and see and watch for God's answers. And then third, Thanksgiving. We need to, be, we need to have a, a spirit of gratitude and of praise and of recognition that, in fact, it was God that answered that prayer. Right? Our response to seeing him, to, be, to being watchful for the answer uh, to our prayers, we need to actually give God the credit for that. Um, and I think uh, if you pray um, much, then if you're anything like me, you might pray a little bit and then totally forget the second two, totally forget to watch for answers and never, ever think about praising God for answering, you know, the prayers. Uh, it's just these are things we expect as answers to our prayers. But Paul sees the need for this kind of prayer um, and watchfulness and thanksgiving. He sees that need in his own ministry. He says, at the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. So if you think about it, it might seem a little bit strange that the, uh, the great apostle here would request prayer from a young church, immature believers, bad theology, right? Uh, here he is writing to them. They barely know anything about the Christian faith, and um, he's, he's saying the very basic things to them uh, that they need to know and grow in. And he's asking them for prayer, but that's an expression of his own dependence. He is utterly dependent on God. And he's even dependent on the community of, of faith. He's dependent on fellow believers uh, to, to support him through their prayer. So he prays and he asks for prayer for open doors for the word. Just evangelistic opportunities. That's what that is. Um, open doors for the word. It's pretty encouraging, I think, that... Um, that God, uh, in his sovereign control of the world and all events and our relationships and our encounters, God is the one who is responsible to orchestrate evangelistic opportunities. God's the one who's responsible for that. We don't have to manufacture those things. Uh, the weight of the world is not on our shoulders. You don't have to go out there and save everybody by your own efforts and by your own cleverness. That's what that means. Um, the pressure's not on you. You just pray and watch and acknowledge God's work, which that acknowledgement includes a faithful response, which we'll address in a minute, actually engaging in the, or walking through the open door as it is presented to you. But uh, Jerem Bars says this, and he, he's got a great book called The Heart of Evangelism. It's like the best book on evangelism. If you're interested at all in it, you should read it. Probably you should read it, even if you're not interested. Uh, Jerem Bars, The Heart of Evangelism. He's also got another book called uh, Learning Evangelism from Jesus, which is really good too. But um, He says, we do not need to try to force the gospel on family members, friends, and acquaintances who are not yet ready to listen. The Lord will open doors in his time. And when he does provide the opportunity for us to share some aspect of the truth with a friend or family member, we should make the most of that opportunity. That's what our passage is saying. We should each have people in our lives that we are praying for regularly. Right? It's kind of a clear application of this passage. We should each have folks that we're praying for regularly that God would give us or that God would give other Christians uh, opportunities to share the gospel with them. And if you're not doing that, if you're a Christian and you're not, you don't have a list of friends and family members that don't yet know the gospel or... Uh, um, don't trust in Christ for their salvation, then uh, you need to go home today and write out a list of names 
and start praying for them regularly. I don't, every day, whatever, just um, once a week is fine, whatever. But right, you've got to be praying for people, that God would open doors for his word in their lives. Pray for people who need to come to faith in Christ. I don't know if um, any of you have ever met Kyle Parker. He was the pastor, he was uh, the PCA pastor down in our church in um, Eugene, uh, Cascade Presbyterian. He actually just recently left to go plant a church in Spokane. Uh, big, huge uh, fellow, uh, like 613 or something like that. <laughs> um, he's like huge, deep, booming voice. Uh, you know if you'd met him, okay? So, but uh, he, he, uh, he went to one of these party schools. I don't know, it was Colorado or something. Um, I think he's okay with me sharing this part of his testimony that, uh, that he was pretty rough as a, as a young guy. And um, he had a friend who was part of some campus ministry and she heard from her campus minister, you ought to have a list of 10 people, 10 friends that you're praying for to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so she put down these people, and Kyle was on the list because he was not a Christian. And um, she shared that list with her campus minister. And her campus minister went, went through and said, oh, yeah, take that guy off the list. He's never, he's never going to come to faith. And now he's a pastor proclaiming the gospel. Right? I mean, it's, it's prayer actually, um, in God's uh, sovereignty, prayer actually does stuff. God actually responds to our prayer. And... Um, and so we need to invest ourselves in evangelistic prayer. We need to pray for our friends and family to become Christians, for God to do the work that only he can do in their lives by softening their hearts, for God to grant even that, that we um, might in our own meager, humble way um, be his instruments in conversations with our friends. Um, I don't know about you, but I stopped praying for things like that a long time ago. Right? I mean, things like... We're, where you're asking God to provide opportunities for you to share the gospel with people, you don't think he's going to answer that prayer? He's going to answer that prayer. And, um, and when he does that, things get uncomfortable, don't they? Things, things, things even get dangerous. Maybe not in our neck of the woods, but um, things get dangerous when God answers prayers like that. And I think a big part of why we're generally reluctant to do evangelism, uh, to share the gospel with other people, even, even to pray for opportunities is that we know instinctively that it will likely mean some suffering on our part, doesn't it? I mean, it does. It means some kind of suffering on our part to be able to share the gospel. A Christian who wants to do evangelism must be willing to suffer. Remember, uh, even in this very passage, it's mentioned, Paul says that he is in prison on account of his declaration of the mystery of Christ. He went to prison for that, and eventually he lost his life for that. Um, and again, even the great apostle knows his fear needs to be overcome if he's going to move out in mission with the proclamation of the gospel. Even his fear has to be overcome. He, he asks for prayer uh, on, in a similar vein on, um, in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He asks for prayer that he would be able to proclaim the gospel boldly. Right? So some, some folks think you just need better training in apologetics, that you just need better preparation on what to say in every situation uh, when you're sharing the gospel, but the Bible says that it's a more significant hurdle to overcome. It's, it's our fear. It's, it's just our fear. The gospel directly addresses our fear of men, our fear of suffering by assuring us that uh, no matter what others may do to us, God always accepts us in Christ. His love will never leave us 
Heaven will be our home forever, and nobody can take that away from us. And uh, everlasting glory, the new heavens and the new earth, it, it awaits those who trust in Christ and who serve him, who uh, even lay down their lives for him for uh, the sake of his gospel. And, and God doesn't just encourage us from a distance, like a, like a really remote cheerleader shouting good promises to us, right? He shares in our sufferings. He understands our sufferings immediately and directly. Uh, because in the person of Jesus Christ, he suffered beyond all of our imagining in order to accomplish the gospel. Uh, and his spirit comforts us as we suffer for the sake of the gospel. So this, this good news about Jesus uh, and God with us and God in us uh, and God for us, you know, that good news, it, per, it puts earthly consequences of sharing the gospel into their proper place, into perspective. Um, the Apostle Paul knew this gospel. He knew the content of it better than anyone. But he still asked for prayer, for courage, and for boldness. Paul himself was not naturally courageous and fearless, so nobody's expecting you to be naturally courageous or fearless. But that's why we all need prayer. Um, he even asks for prayer for clarity in his communication. He says that I may make it clear in verse 4, which is how I ought to speak. And this is definitely the kind of thing that we figure that we should just manage on our own. Right? This part is the part that's up to us. The, the clarity of our communication. Right? How I communicate the gospel to others is the thing about the evangelism that is most dependent on my abilities. That's just our self-sufficiency talking. Right? Um, we are dependent on God for everything in all of our interactions, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. Let me tell you how difficult it is to communicate the gospel uh, to people who are different from you, who have different communication styles, who have different uh, personalities, who have different ways of thinking, um, who are coming from different places in life or who are in different places spiritually. That is very difficult. I spend quite a bit of time <laughs> every week uh, preparing to be able to do that but it's never enough, and I can never cover all the bases. Uh, I can't take everything into consideration. I can never say everything in a way that makes sense to everybody, in a way that's clear to everybody. Um, in fact, sometimes I'm even confused about uh, myself, like what, what it is that I'm trying to say. Um, but then sometimes, um, this, is, this is strange, this is really attributing this to God. Um, sometimes I go back and listen to sermon audio of something that I prepared for all week long and delivered and thought I understood uh, to some degree and things come across with m more clarity than I intended and even I learned something from myself <laughs> right and that's um, that's that's God at work giving clarity to speech that I didn't I couldn't manipulate I couldn't manufacture that right um, God really is able to improve our communication, to give it greater clarity uh, and effectiveness than, than we can manufacture. We have a message, the message of the gospel, nobody wants to hear in their natural state. Nobody wants to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, our spiritual condition um, causes us to react violently against the only cure for our spiritual condition, um, which is the gospel. And that's the message that we all desperately need to hear every one of us, about Jesus' love and mercy freely given to us, but it's the message that we absolutely refuse to understand apart from God's Spirit at work in our hearts. It's a miracle anytime that we share the gospel 
with someone and it actually makes sense to them and it actually gets through them. It is a miracle. Uh, so we pray and we express our dependence on God even for our ability to connect and communicate our thoughts about the gospel with other people. Um, prayer then is an essential part of our evangelism. It's, it's the expression of our dependence on God in our evangelism. Then he moves in uh, verses 5 and 6 and talks about the other part of that, the, the dialogue. Right? Uh, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So he's been asking for prayer for himself uh, regarding his evangelism. And here's where he says, yeah, yeah, you need to be doing this too. All of you. Um, you take advantage of evangelistic opportunities. When God opens the door, you walk through it. Uh, and do it with wisdom. That means... That means you need to think. You actually need to think about your interactions with outsiders. You need to think about how to converse with them, how to dialogue with them. Um, and he gives us, throughout the scriptures, but particularly here, Paul gives us uh, some beautiful things to think about that ought to characterize our dialogue with unbelievers. He says in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And that's how we're supposed to always talk. He um, says, be gracious, right? Let your speech always be gracious. Jerem Bars again says, um, we can never look down on anyone as unworthy of our love, honor, and respect, or we'd be disqualifying ourselves. Right? Whoever they are, whatever they have done, we are one with them in human dignity, having been created together in God's image, right? Uh, and we are one with them in human shame. God's response to our sin is grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. So our response to the sin of others is to be the grace that's been extended to us. Make sense? The, your speech should always be gracious. The worst criticism that you could receive from, uh, from anyone, but especially from a non-Christian, is that you come across as judgmental, smug, arrogant. That's the worst criticism that you could receive. Uh, soon after I became a Christian, my family members informed me that I had a serious case of uh, holier-than-thou attitude. Um, I'm so glad I've finally risen above all that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joking aside, though, that, that kind of attitude has no place. It has no place in a Christian's life or conversations, our speech should always be gracious, which basically just means our speech should always be humble and kind. Right. Uh, we read earlier, um, amazing passage, thanks for reading it, Katie, from uh, Genesis 37. Um, Joseph, tattletale, young, young guy, uh, tattletale, boasting about the dreams that God was giving him. Um, he came across as arrogant probably because he was arrogant. And what was the response to the people around him, the, their response to him? Uh, his brothers, uh, they got turned off the gospel. L literally, that's what, he was sharing the gospel with them in an arrogant, self-centered way. Um, the content of his dreams, it meant their salvation, right? We see that through the book of Genesis toward the end. Like, he saved the world. Joseph saved the world uh, by um, being the conduit of God, you know, God's work in Egypt to provide for the world food during famine, and uh, all based on these dreams that, um, that we see throughout the, the last part of Genesis. Um, 
So God gives him the gospel and he shares it with them in a way that makes them hate him and throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. You know, um, That's because he was arrogant. It's not just because he was sharing something with them that they didn't want to hear. It was because he was arrogant about it. Um, his attitude did not correspond with the gospel. His attitude did not correspond with the gospel. The gospel humbles us because we know our great need of God's grace. So when you act or speak in proud, condescending ways, uh, it's evidence that the gospel needs to do more work in your life right? uh, to take away that, that attitude. Um, our conversations with others need to be filled with, with love, with, with real love, with humble love. Uh, there's that old adage, um, you know, we're just beggars telling other beggars where there's bread. Uh, that's, that's what it boils down to when you're doing evangelism. Um, we're just beggars telling other beggars where there's bread. And that means you really have to know, you really have to believe that you're just a beggar. And um, that you're just the same as the people that you want to share the gospel with. You really don't have your life all together, even though you're a Christian. Being a Christian isn't about getting your life all together. It's about throwing yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ and receiving God's full acceptance of you through him, through him alone. When God's grace through Christ truly becomes precious to you, then you'll start showing grace and speaking with grace to others around you without trying to pass yourself off as some kind of perfect person who has everything together. Um, And our speech is also, Paul says, to be seasoned with salt basically means it's supposed to be interesting. It's supposed to be engaging and stimulating, maybe even surprising. Um, In a culture like ours where people are openly antagonistic to Christianity, uh, where the general assumption is that, hey, we all know what Christianity is and we don't want to have anything to do with it, um, I actually like to engage people by asking them what they think Christianity is. What is the gospel? Right. Um, and that, uh, that's a good tactic for you. Just ask a question, right? We need to learn evangelism from Jesus, and he often just asks good questions of people. Um, but ask your friends, what's the gospel? What do you think the gospel is? What is Christianity about? Why, what's the point of going to church, do you think? I mean, I think people around us assume that they know, and I think most people around us are wrong in their assumption. And... Um, and it's always an interesting conversation when you ask them what they really think about it. Uh, season your speech with salt by being honest with your friends. Um, I think there's, there's kind of two, two primary ways that we can be interesting enough as Christians that it might spark the curiosity of our family and our friends and our neighbors to ask us questions about the gospel. There's kind of two primary ways. The first is by doing good works. It says uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your good works shine before men so that they would glorify your Father who's in heaven. Uh, Doing good works, serving, being merciful, loving them, that frequently creates opportunities to share the gospel with them. They'll ask you about it. Uh, I was talking about, um, during the announcement time, the Sacred Road ministry. And uh, Chris Granberry, who uh, oversees, who started that ministry, and he's working on planning a church there on the Native American Reservation, up in White Swan, he came and uh, had lunch with some of us this week, and he was telling us story after story after story of the receptivity of the people 
that they're ministering to by doing the simplest, almost base uh, things, right? There's a group that came from across the country uh, to Warm Springs, maybe last summer, uh, for a week. And these are highly skilled people. They wanted to build something. They wanted to fix a roof or, you know, really, really help, right? <clears throat> and, um, and instead, the guy who was in charge, he said, no, you know where you're really needed? Where you're really needed is picking up trash on the side of the road. It's a little bit offensive to people with skills, right? It's like, no, come on, don't waste my talent here. Picking up trash on the side of the road, anybody could do that, right? Um, they did it. They picked up trash on the side of the road and uh, said something like 10 to 15 cars stopped that day. Native American people got out of the cars, asked them, hey, are you the church people? Hey, can you pray for us? Hey, why are you here? Why did you spend so much money to fly across the country and come and help us and do things like this? Our own family wouldn't do things like this. It was their good works that provided an opportunity for uh, people to ask questions about the gospel, for them to share the gospel and pray with people. <clears throat> and secondly, I think, um, I think this is really important. Secondly, we can um, be interesting enough as Christians for people to ask us questions uh, just by being transparent about our sins uh, by being honest and forthright about our weaknesses and our fears um, we live in a society where everyone expects you to act happy all the time Everything's, when you get asked the question how are things you're supposed to say fine great with a smile on your face right? you're supposed to act as if you have your life put together you feel that expectation don't you that's the way it is in our culture and it's interesting, it's engaging, it's salty, uh, it says here, when you stop being a hypocrite and when you confess what's really going on inside of your heart, you should be able to surprise your neighbors by being able to relate to them in ways that surprise them, right? Um, you can, you know, you can relate to them in every way. You can relate to your non-Christian friends and neighbors in every way. The only thing that makes you different from them is that someone, not you, has had mercy on you. And someone outside of you uh, saved you. That's the only thing that makes you different from your non-Christian friends. Uh, so in and of yourself, you can relate to them. And when you share what's going on deep inside your heart, what's really going on in there, um, and it resonates with what's really going on deep inside of their hearts, except that they've been too afraid to admit that that's actually going on inside of their hearts out of uh, guilt or shame, whatever uh, makes them afraid to share that. They might be taken aback because, um, because here they were thinking Christianity was just about being a perfect person, being better than everybody else. And you can say, no, it's not. Um, they might be relieved to hear that they're not the only one who struggles with the things that they're struggling with things that they want to keep secret. Uh, they might just be looking for an answer to their fears, right? They, they really need help in some area, and you know where to point to help. Um, or maybe they'll just get kind of a vague sense that you can relate, that you're, you're on their side, um, which, of course, you should be on their side. And, uh, and then they'll be open to friendship with you. And there, there are a lot of ways to make dialogue with outsiders interesting 
and not just to them, but also to you. Um, but a surefire way to kill that dialogue is with a stern lecture. With a stern, let me tell you about the gospel. Right? Um, sometimes you need to just tell them. Sometimes it needs to, to break through hardened hearts and deaf ears. Right? But um, N.T. Wright says this. It's a quote in the beginning of the bulletin. He said, a tedious monologue is worse than useless in evangelism. Christians are to work at making their witness interesting, lively, and colorful. And at the same time, to ensure that they have thoroughly mastered the rudiments of their faith so that you may know how to answer everyone. If the answer is heard or felt as an oracular pronouncement or rebuke for ignorance, the argument may be won, but the person lost. So we're supposed to know how we ought to answer each person. And this assumes that uh, at least there's someone asking something. Right? Uh, and the ESV study Bible says Paul's comments here assume that uh, the Colossian believers are vitally involved in the local community and have ample opportunities to interact with outsiders in a way that would commend the gospel to them. So Paul's talking about relationships. You've got to be in relationships, right? You've got to have a quality of relationships. Do you have relationships with non-believers? Um, I think it's pretty common knowledge that after a few years of becoming a Christian, pretty much all of our relationship and social networking changes so that we no longer have relationships with non-Christians. That's pretty standard for people in the church. And that's bad. Right? That's, that's bad. We need to have real relationships with outsiders. <clears throat> Relationships where, uh, where they know who we are, who we really are, and where we know who they are. Where they know our faults, they know our sins, they know our struggles, so that they also might know our faith and our hope and our love. Uh, relationships where we know their hopes and their dreams and their fears and their questions so that we might be able to intelligently and lovingly answer all of those with the gospel. You got to actually have relationships with people. Um, and if we have friends, they have questions. Everybody has questions. Um, and we need to take them and their questions seriously. We need to work to understand them. We need to be able to give them the answers that the Bible gives them. Right? Uh, usually our friends' problems won't be strictly intellectual. Um, but also emotional and relational because we're whole beings. Right? It all works together. Um, we usually, in fact, intellectually reject the truth of the gospel because of something going on inside of our hearts, because we hate God. Right? Not because the truth of the gospel is incoherent. Um, we convince ourselves that the gospel is incoherent because we wish it was. We wish it was incoherent for whatever reason. So our friends need us to understand what their questions really are. Our friends need us to understand what their questions really are, which means we really need to get to know them. We need to open our homes. We need to practice hospitality, have them over for meals and conversations. You don't have to do it alone. You can invite a group of friends over um, for a barbecue or whatever. You know, um, If you've got kids in school, you know, invite their friends, invite their families, 
over and get to know them. Kids, invite your friends to church. Invite, you like Sunday school, invite them to Sunday school. You know? um, they're your friends. Uh, older kids, we're starting to think about getting a youth group together. Invite your friends. This is how the gospel spreads through our friendships. Right? Um, talk with your friends about things that are important to them or important to you. you know? Ask them questions. Don't be creepy about it, right? Don't just clearly have ulterior motives where you're always trying to steer the conversation. Uh, just be friends, right? What's wrong with being friends? Um, there's a movie called The Big Kahuna that, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's, it's, it's a good movie. It's worth seeing. Um, might be rated R. I don't know. Do you know? You've seen Big Kahuna? Anyway, Danny DeVito's in it, and there's a quote here in the beginning of the bulletin on it. Um, <clears throat> but he's, uh, his character's name is Phil, and he's talking to Bob, and they're, they're both in sales, and Bob's the young guy, he's the new guy, and Bob's the Christian. And he's just raring to go and tell everybody about Jesus. He's really on fire and steps on people's toes and makes people feel uncomfortable and um, is really awkward, right? Um, but this is what, Phil, what DeVito's character says to him toward the end of the movie uh, about his desire to share the gospel. He says, it doesn't matter whether you're selling Jesus or Buddha or civil rights or how to make money in real estate with no money down. That doesn't make you a human being. It makes you a marketing rep. If you want to talk to somebody honestly as a human being, ask him about his kids. Find out what his dreams are. Just to find out. For no other reason. Because as soon as you lay your hands on a conversation to steer it, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a pitch. And you're not a human being. You're a marketing rep. Just being a human being, just being a friend in itself is actually a testimony to the gospel. It's a testimony to the fact that God created us in his image. We are created in the image of the triune God. Our God is in relationship. Our God is relationship. And, um, and love, because we're made in his image, and because we're redeemed by Jesus Christ, real love, real friendship, real togetherness is actually possible. So our friendship, our love of others is a testimony to the gospel. It's a bit confusing when you actually do have an agenda, right? Because um, you want to find those opportunities where the conversation can take, take a turn and uh, you can talk about the gospel uh, to share the gospel with your friends for their good, but that that agenda is driven at least partially and imperfectly by genuine love, by concern for them as your friends, which can only be true if you actually love them, if you actually have a friendship and a relationship with them. And clearly, also, we need to have something to give them as an answer. We need to know um, how Jesus is the answer to all of our questions as humans, and we can figure out how he answers our friends' questions. We can figure that out. We can search the scriptures. Um, we can ask other Christians who we suspect might have good answers. Um, we can read books about apologetics and evangelism and counseling. And all of this, all of this engagement, uh, not, not just for self-improvement, right? Not just for our own salvation, for the sake of our own souls, for our own growth in the gospel, our own sanctification, 
but for the sake of our neighbors who we're to love as ourselves. Um, it's the outworking of the gospel. That means sharing the grace of Jesus Christ with them, even as God has freely shared it with us in his great love. And um, it might be more fun than you think. Let's pray. Lord, truly there are many things uh, inside of us, many obstacles that have to be overcome for us to um, boldly and clearly share the gospel in love with the people who are around us. And even more obstacles need to be overcome if they're to receive it and uh, find salvation in you and be changed into your likeness. And uh, none of these obstacles we can address on our, on our own. Uh, even the best of us can't hope to, to manage these things apart from you. And we, uh, we desperately need you in our lives to make the gospel true to us and vibrant and beautiful to us so that we would respond uh, with faith and, um, and passionate service and mission in your name. And, um, and we pray for our friends and loved ones who do not yet know you that uh, any door at all might be open for them to come into a relationship with you through, uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And um, if you would use us to that end, then we place ourselves at your service. We pray that your gospel would run in this place, in this church, and through us in our community uh, for the, the sake of your kingdom and for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.